0: Hey everyone, welcome back to the Aikman Bros podcast. I'm James Aikman, president of Aikman Wildlife, and my brother here, Andrew Aikman, executive vice president here at Aikman Wildlife. So, kind of what we're thinking about for today's podcast is starting off with what the next three to six months look like here at the park. And so, uh, yeah, so. I call Andy Game of Thrones because Memorial Day weekend, he's already concerned about winter is coming. And so always winter is coming with Andy. So when you you run a wildlife
1: park, winter takes on a whole new meaning as opposed to if you didn't have a wildlife park. There's certain things that we know are coming and things that have to be done at certain times, whether that's animals coming in from the drive-thru that can't spend the winter out there or finalizing an end of the year vet work, all that stuff. So everyone seems to think that there's just so many hours in the day and it's actually
0: not. So, so two years ago, we had to redo our winter barns. We had to build brand new stalls, change the layout completely. Him and I were working long nights uh, in late October and November of that year. So like that year, his Game of Thrones mindset was helpful and we should have listened to him. But now that's been those Every big projects year. have been done, and so now it's a little. There's always a something. little more streamlined now. Yes, it's gotten better over the years, but there's
1: always stuff that people always think. Oh, we got a, we got another week, another two weeks, and it weather changes or other projects come up that have somewhat of a same priority like our pathway of lights that we've started to do more often uh, in terms of the last few seasons making that bigger obviously the the more lights you put up the longer that takes so that takes away from other aspects during this kind of key time of the year to get certain stuff done so pretty much memorial day june july it's not it's just around the corner in my mind in terms of when snow will be on the ground it'll be freezing out And we would have wished that we would have been a little ahead of the game. But like you said, we're getting better and better every year, I guess. I'll still call
0: them Game of Thrones, though. But
1: talked about Pathway of
0: Lights. So in case you don't know what that is, that's when we kind of take part of our walkthrough, cover it, and it's a ton of Christmas lights and decorations everywhere. Uh, We do hot chocolate, cider, uh, different cookies and Christmas cookies and things like that. It is donations only. So families, we want them to come out. We want them to have a good time. The goal in the beginning was for it to become a tradition. And I think this will be our fourth fourth year of doing it. And like last year, we heard more and more people tell us that they've come out. So every year, That it's something they look forward to. And that's what our goal was. So we're hoping to be able to continue to expand on that. And so it will start Saturday night, uh, November 13th, and we do it every Saturday night until the Saturday before Christmas. So I think this year, December 18th, will be the the last one. It's usually like five to eight. Yeah, something will be five o'clock to eight o'clock just out here at the park. People can park in the parking lot and just come on into our gift shop. That's kind of where it starts, and they're able to walk around the walkthrough. The petting zoo is open. Uh, the animals in the gift shop are able to be seen. We still offer some of the different animal encounters. We do barn
1: tours, too. Usually by that time, in terms of November, we get majority of the animals that are coming in to our winter barns for the for the season, the year, the winter uh, months. They're in there. So A couple of years ago, we started doing a encounter called a winter barn tour where basically um, a guide, usually myself takes you in there. Some of the antelope that may be a little harder to see when they're out in the drive-through because they're a little more skittish, uh, good way to kind of get a little more of a close-up view of those guys, get a little more detail on those specific animals. And then you also get to kind of go in see a little bit, a little bit of behind the scenes with like the vet room and kind of talk a little bit about kind of the vet stuff that we do here at the park and then finish it off with the, the commissary, the kitchen that we use to prep all the food for the walkthrough animals. So kind of get a little bit of a inside view of kind of how that process goes and kind of how it's evolved over the years in terms of where it started to where we are now. Um, kind of like with a lot of stuff around here, it's night and day in terms of the improvements and. the Stuff that we've been able to do over the years to kind of streamline a lot of that stuff. So, that's another thing that is available uh, for people to do when they come out here. We'll also have the museum open, uh, Museum of Prehistoric Life will also be open um, during that time. So, another thing that you can kind of bring your family out to do. Kind of, we look at this as a way to kind of give back to the community almost. I mean, uh, like he had mentioned, we always knew we wanted to do some sort of traditional type thing that people would always kind of family going to be in town anyways, because it's the holiday season, something for them to do on a Saturday night. Um, and it seems to have really taken off the last few years. And one thing that makes it.
0: A little more unique it is on the walkthrough side of the park so obviously our wildlife park has a drive-through but the drive-through is not a part of it uh people tell us why well, don't you just put christmas lights out there and have people drive through the problem with that would be we also have animals out there and so the animals would rub against the lights or chew They're on the right. lights yeah. and they would be destroyed uh relatively quickly so camels and lights don't don't go together at all so we're kind of Talking through, options we have for incorporating the drive-through into Pathway of Lights. It would not be with Christmas lights out there, though. Uh, But the walk-through side of the park, we take our big loop around the red barn. So it is concrete pathway all the way around. Uh, Very easy to walk on and have lights. And then the loft of our big red barn, we have our great-grandma's sleigh up there. And then Lakeland College did a reindeer, life-size reindeer cutout for us. So people can take pictures in the sleigh. It looks like it's being pulled by a reindeer. And so people usually love seeing what that looks like. And then kind of the ramp up there, you guys created a a light tunnel. So we had a, a lot of people stop and take pictures of themselves inside the light tunnel last year. So always looking at things to add to make it better, bigger, cooler than the previous year. Yeah, so kind of the, usually the very first Saturday uh, that we
1: open it, it's usually what we kind of classify as the tree lighting ceremony. So we have, what would you say the height of that tree is now? It's only
0: 18. 18,
1: 20 feet. Um, so we have a pine tree that we specifically planted uh, for this um, this kind of event that we do every year. And so right now it's about a 18 to 20 foot tall pine tree that we... I forget how many lights we put on it now just because every year it gets a little bigger. Um, probably well over 2000 ornaments. Um, now in terms of being able to cover it, we had a, uh, sidewalk poured around it. Uh, last year would have been the first time that we were able to go completely all the way around the tree. So, uh, that first Saturday is usually when we light that up. And like I said, another good picture taking opportunity. It's kind of close. Um, right there by the the red barn, kind of where the ramp is, the petting zoo area. So right there alongside the main loop. And it's usually what we do on that first Saturday. And then in years past, ever since COVID thing happened, we haven't been able to necessarily do as many kind of specific events as we do. But like, uh, we'll kind of just have to see where we're at in terms of this year. But years past, like that last Saturday, we try to have... A picture-taking event with either person dressed up as Santa Claus or uh, Rudolph event, Rudolph event, that sort of thing. Um, but that you'll probably just have to kind of stay tuned for Facebook updates and that sort of thing on where where we're at with kind of individual
0: um, kind of events going on during that time. Yeah. and then. Right before Backway of Lights, uh, another big event for us is our Sable Fundraising Banquet, A Toast to Wildlife. And so for those of you who don't know, Sable is our 501c3. So that's what we created. It is our kind of our fundraising arm. So it was created for the feeding, caring, providing homes for the animals, as well as educating the public. And so that's what all of our corporate sponsorships go through, our adoptive species go through. It's... It allows individuals to donate money and be able to deduct it from their taxes. And so every fall we have a, a fundraising banquet for it. We usually have a silent and a live auction. Uh, we have food catered in. And so usually everybody has a good time and the money is going to a, a good cause this year. And our focus is uh, on our wolf dog area. We're building some brand new runs for them to try to consolidate all five of our packs into one uh, geographical location at the park next to their building which would make food prep and vet work and just transitioning them from uh, holding pens out to the big main area much easier and so that's kind of the focus for this year's banquet but that will be Friday night November 12th uh, we'll be posting uh, some links online eventually for people that they can purchase their tickets ahead of time But that will be the night before Pathway of Lights start. So kind of one of the the bonuses of coming to the banquet is you get to, after the banquet and the auction's over with, you get to walk around the park to see the lights before the general public does get to see it. And then kind of the other thing that we are working on along with the podcast are some kind of episodes, uh, still trying to decide on what the title is. I think we're leaning towards something about life at Aikman's. Uh, Just kind of showing you what a day in our life looks like out here at the park. We'll be showing different projects we work on from start to finish, different uh, animal things we need to do, and just a bunch of other things that we think people might be interested in seeing. So definitely be, be looking for those out there as well. Yeah. uh so we mentioned this uh in the last podcast a little bit about our museum of prehistoric life and this probably came about three and a half years ago yeah, four years ago so the wildlife park we're in central illinois so it does get cold in the winter time so november through march it's very slow out here And we always thought if we could do something indoors, you could regulate the temperature, people could do it all year long. Both of us love dinosaurs, uh, always have. And then prehistoric mammals, we felt would be a good tie-in. And so for the museum, we have life-size models that are fully fleshed out. Uh, Actually the Smilodon here on the table, I think this one is a one-tenth scale, one-sixth scale. So we have a life-size Smilodon looks exact same, obviously only just much, much bigger. Um, People can touch them, they can take the picture with them, interact with them, Uh, but that was kind of, that's what we have now, I don't know if you want to talk about what the museum was originally going to be. Because the original concept that kind of me and him came up
1: with was basically doing life-size, fully fleshed out things, but more so set in diorama pieces behind glass um, with diorama type of things uh, with foliage, all that stuff, it probably wouldn't work out too well to have the general public kind of be able to walk through that stuff just with things getting stepped on or broken. Um, So that was kind of the initial concept, and then we kind of, for one reason or another, we kind of decided that we wanted to go a little more hands-on with our experience here at the museum instead of, you know, seeing stuff behind glass we wanted to have more of that interactive type of aspect. So that's where it kind of evolved to still keep the fully fleshed out life-size pieces, um, but get them to where they're not behind barriers. You don't have to have an escort or anything with you. Um, Basically it's just kind of common sense for the most part. Uh, He touched base on a little bit about, you know, we encourage you to take pictures, interact with them, but there is a limit to that. We don't want people to ride on them or anything like that. Um, at the end of the day, they are still one of a kind pieces. That if they do break, unfortunately, that is a financial cost on our end to have the fix and that sort of thing. So we do kind of uh, want people to respect that to a certain extent. But we definitely it evolved quite a bit from the initial concept. There's actually a drawing down in the museum that has that I had done that kind of showed a little bit of a glimpse inside of a conceptual museum that you'll see different pieces kind of behind glass and people walking through there. That was kind of the initial idea. And then, like I said, it kind of evolved to where we wanted to be a little more hands-on with our things, so. The first part of the museum actually, what was that, 2019 is when we actually opened, basically, this this building that used to be our office, and that's all it was. Um, We converted maybe about half of the space, so maybe about a thousand square feet, was converted, 800 to 1,000 square feet, was converted to kind of the first five pieces uh, and also the CGI T-Rex that we have in terms of the uh, computer-generated T-Rex that we have. That was kind of the first phase of the the museum. And like I said, that opened back in sometime in 2019 is when we kind of started to open that up to the public. And we, uh, we were kind of limited with what we could do because of the Kind of the restrictions that were on the building so ceiling height was the biggest one it was eight foot ceiling so obviously that dictated what animals we could put in there so the biggest one at the time that we could do would be our arctodus, so the giant short-faced bear <coughs> ideally we, we would have loved to have him be standing up on his back two legs because he gets about 13 14 feet tall but wasn't doable um so we decided to do it on all fours still very impressive. He's even at shoulder height on all fours. He's over six feet tall. So um, very eye catching in terms of in the space that he was in. But we knew that it was still starting out with anything. You either you have the the financing in place to have something fairly large or you can do have to start out in phases. So we kind of knew that the initial phase was on the smaller side for sure but we had the mindset that this was just going to be a very kind of temporary thing and we knew that phase two was coming down the pipeline pretty quick and that's what the the bigger addition was with the 15 foot height ceilings so obviously with 15 foot height ceilings it, it opened the possibilities quite a bit in terms of what animals we can display in there so right now our showstopper piece is a life-size carnotaurus um, so a fairly decent-sized, mid-sized, meat-eating dinosaur, theropod, and it's definitely, whenever people kind of turn the corner to see that guy, they, for the most part, are completely blown away by it. So it's probably about 26 feet long and about a little over 10 feet. Yep, so uh, just around 26 feet. uh, In terms of the pose that we have, right around 26 feet long, and then in the pose that it's in, probably right around that 10 and a half foot uh, height range. So, again, very... Very imposing, and it's actually, we were able to kind of reposition the arctidus to where it's kind of the same area. So it just gives you a little bit of a glimpse of the our initial phase one largest size piece. When you compare that to the phase two size, um, it's definitely a, an increase in terms of just how big of an animal it actually is and what we're able to
0: do with the additional space that we had. Anita made the comment earlier about the pieces being one of a kind and what what he means by that is we didn't go to uh, an online catalog and order these so all of these were digitally sculpted Uh, we kind of start with our sculptor gets the the basic size to where we agree with it and the look and then we start to pose it digitally and then once that happens then he prints off kind of the smaller scale that we can do the test painting on. Once we sign off on that, then he'll start printing the life-size pieces. So uh, all of our pieces here in the museum, you literally can't find them. No, that's the process for any of the, the large
1: size pieces. Some of the smaller pieces, it made more sense. Uh, we had a lot of contacts here. That are amazing sculptors. Um, so some of the smaller pieces that are on kind of the pedestals type of bases, they are actually hand sculpted, traditionally sculpted. Um, so again, one of a kind pieces for sure in that regard. But the uh, yeah, the all the digital all the digital pieces, they uh, we decided they are all the way down to just the pose of this tail flipping this way instead of this way, the head turned slightly that way, like all that was signed off by me and James in terms of that's kind of the process that we do and we know what we want. We know we want to stay as scientifically accurate as possible with our all of our models as close as we can at least uh, so that's kind of where the initial sizing comes in. We don't want something that is too big uh, that wouldn't make sense in terms of being an animal that is twice the size that it actually was up when it was uh, around and we also don't want something too small. So. A lot of research goes into the pieces and then also just kind of the a lot of time goes into what animals we're actually going to make and have displayed um so he had touched base that we love dinosaurs and dinosaurs in a wildlife park you can somehow kind of combine them but it made more sense for us to kind of do a little more focus on the prehistoric mammals so uh just like we have a uh, short-faced hyena down in the first phase. That was one of the animals part of the very first phase. Concept was that. Behind that was basically they would be able to see this hyena that used to roam, and then they could actually walk out into our walkthrough area and look at our two spotted hyenas that we have out in the walkthrough portion. So um, it just kind of worked a little better to kind of do that focus on prehistoric mammals, tying in to the animals that we have here. So.
0: Yeah, so the kind of the future I guess of the museum the next phase would still be inside the current space we have it'd be four large pieces coming so I think all of them are 10 feet or taller uh, all kind of in the prehistoric mammal or bird categories Uh, and then Beyond that, we would be looking at having to add on to this building and so kind of with that, the sky's the limit. I mean obviously the finances are the limit, right, but...
1: Well, we also have sometime coming in 2022. We will have our first animatronic piece that we will have on display. Um, it'll be a smaller piece. But animatronics is one of those things that we would love to get into. But some of the animatronics that we have seen just doesn't. We have to have something that's as lifelike as possible in in terms of that was kind of the vision here that all of our pieces, we don't want them to look like they're not realistic animals. So we try to go as as close to realistic as possible with the paint apps, um, the poses, all that stuff so the animatronic piece that's coming it's probably around four feet long um it'll be motion sensitive sensitive so the whole goal is that it'll look like all the other static pieces kind of in the collection and then when a person gets to a certain point it'll actually start to move on himself so we're hoping that that'll be kind of the small step into that side of um kind of the collection in terms of doing more
0: animatronic pieces down the road. So we're pretty excited about that thing coming. Absolutely. The goal would be you go through the museum and you don't know if a piece is gonna move or not. So yeah. that creates a much higher sense of anticipation uh, could potentially create some degree of fear possibly. So we think this first animatronic piece uh, will definitely startle people to say the least and our we we'll probably have to refund some money then yeah you know, so we have had to do that before families come in and kids hear the t-rex from the t-rex video wall uh sometimes they would just see some of the pieces and turn around and run out screaming and crying so so we don't like to make
1: anyone scream or cry by any means but in a certain aspect that is what we kind of set out to do from a realistic standpoint. Um, 100% if we would put any of these pieces out in the open outside and someone would pull into our parking lot and see them um, from a certain distance they would not be able to tell that there's some a real animal out there. So uh, I think we accomplished our goal in terms of getting the uh, getting our collection to be
0: as realistic as possible for sure. Yeah. And so like I said, the kind of the sky's the limit, finances are the main limit, but we have big plans down the road for the museum to bring in some much much bigger pieces than what we have now and truly can see it getting to the point where it is a it is a world renowned museum that getting to the size of where people would actually be coming here Just from other countries for the museum itself. Yeah. So so we mentioned that
1: the largest piece we have now is the Carnotaurus, around 26 feet long, just to give you a little bit of a reference. The pieces that we're hoping to bring in in the future are double, triple the size of that. Um, So stay tuned for more on that.
0: And so another thing we're going to kind of start doing in these is just touching on doing an animal spotlight, some of the animals at the park. Uh, So we thought we'd start with Fabio. So Fabio is one of our camels. Camels are easily one of the more popular animals at the park, have a lot of personality. Uh, Fabio is our Bactrian camel, so Bactrian are the two humps. And he is the one that grows a much thicker winter coat. So he is our woolly mammoth of the park for over half the year. They're native to the Gobi Desert, which is Central Asia. So it gets a lot colder there than it does uh, like in northern Africa and the Middle East where the drometers are so that's why they have a much longer shaggier coat uh but Fabio is the one like I do a lot of behind the scenes at the park driving around in the UTV uh first half of the day Fabio is usually chasing us all around so we'll stop we'll feed him we pull away he starts running and so people think that's the the funniest thing in the world he will actually gain on us so I tell people in that time it's kind of like the Jurassic Park scene where you must go faster when the T-Rex is chasing that's kind of what it's like with Fabio people love it but then the latter half of the day he's already kind of eaten a lot of food and so he's a little bit more laid back and relaxed and so I just drive right up to him and he's very calm and gentle when he eats Uh, you do a lot of the wagons so I don't know what how his personality is on the wagons.
1: Well, yeah, it kind of depends. He's one of those that definitely because it takes him a little longer to get rid of that extra winter coat of his during the start of the spring, summer months, um, definitely a little more active in the morning time, a little less kind of hit or miss in afternoon wagons. Uh, temperament wise, a little better than Randy. Randy, the dromedary camel is a little more aggressive sometimes than what Fabio is. So, uh, still Fabio has bad days just in terms of being a little, little more intense, um, little story with Fabio. Uh, it was a couple of years ago that I was doing a field trip with a group of kids. We were out in the drive-thru. This was when the guides would still get down off the wagon and put food around the wagon. And, uh, we would actually, um, kind of be on the back of the wagon instead of on the front of the wagon like we are now. Fabio came up behind me, uh, whether I was just not quick enough or he was a little impatient that day, but he decided to kind of latch down on my shoulder and not let go. Uh, So obviously it didn't feel the greatest, but I had to keep it cool because I was in front of a bunch of little kids, didn't want them to start screaming or anything like that. Um, so finally, bad thing about our camels in terms of the bites, I always tell people on my wagons, it's not so much the puncture wounds, you have to worry about camels because for the most part, they don't have any upper teeth. They're pretty much all gum. It's more so the pressure they can exert with their bites and R2, they don't like to let go for a little while once, once they do latch onto something. So finally, probably after about like 30 to 40 seconds, he finally let me go and I was able to kind of continue on the tour. Um... But to this day i actually i have a scar from fabio so uh even though he doesn't have any top teeth just that pressure that he was able to exert on kind of my shoulder region right on the kind of the chest region uh it was enough to to leave a, a long-lasting mark so camels are one of those things that like with the wagons uh we let them just eat directly off the wagon um just because like i said sometimes they they're very smart so Sometimes they're too smart for their own good. They almost get impatient on people trying to feed them. So it's kind of the best, safest thing to kind of just put the food on the floor and let them go at their own pace. But um, Fabio was one that he was more in the very beginning. He was a spitter more so. And then it was, what was it, 2017? He started to have a little bit of a balancing issue. Um, kind of lean into his, I think it was his right side. So we had our vet come out, and he kind of determined that it definitely was some sort of neurological thing going on with Fabio. He recommended having him be taken to the U of I because they were able to do a little more kind of hands-on thing. It was a little out of our um, local vets kind of element when it came to kind of brain stuff with a backdrain camel. So I think he spent about two weeks up there at U of I, um, came back and he was a much happier camel for whatever reason. Pretty much that was the turning point from him. More, more than likely spitting at you fairly consistently to, he doesn't even hardly spit at all anymore. Let you pet him. Yeah. I'll let you pet him and everything. So, um, never, ever, never were able to kind of really determine what the issue was, but we were just thankful that, being in the care up there at U of I, that they were able to kind of get him back to 100% and like I said he's uh, definitely a guest favorite for sure uh, when it comes to the wagons and the behind the scenes there's not too many wagons and behind the scenes that Fabio doesn't
0: get up to and kind of make an impression on except I think he was he's about 10 years old yeah think like 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 10 11. 11. I think he was yeah. he was 4 when he came in uh, the last podcast talked about Bought well, the property September 1st, and then I informed him the first round of animals were coming in September 22nd. He was one of the camels that came in, the camel that came in in that first round of animals. So he's been with us for a few years, and definitely the camels are hanging in years, They have their own t-shirts. I think we might actually be sold out of them. Not that yeah. i say that, but... Team Randy and Team Fabio, we did that in the beginning as a joke, just to kind of make fun of Twilight a little bit and then they became very popular and we had to reorder them every time we ordered shirts. Yeah. So, Fabio is definitely one you can't miss when you come out to the park. So, That's all we got for this week's podcast. We're working on what next week's will be and so we look forward to seeing you next time. Love.